0: Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Communications, joined again, as always, not in studio, but through the web by Scott Dunford, who is the pastor of Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. And Scott, uh, what a crazy two years that goes completely without saying. Just when you thought things couldn't get any worse or more trying. Um, then Ukraine happens. And we've talked about that on the show. We spoke with our friend, Caleb Suko, who serves with ABWE before the conflict broke out. And then recently, we spoke with Nick Ripkin about what he's learned over the years of interviewing uh, refugees, persecuted believers, people that were in the orbit of the Soviet Union. So much to talk about. Everyone's talking about it. So the, the natural question is, what could we possibly add to that conversation, right? And yet, I think, I think there's more to talk about here this week.
1: Yeah, I'm like, probably most people wake up in the morning and first thing I do is check my phone and the news and see what's happening in the Ukraine. And, uh, and I've gotten lots of, lots of emails and connections of my friends, and I'm sure you have too, Alex, going, hey, what's going on with the Sukos? How's, how's Caleb doing? Yeah. They were moved by the interview, which is now hard to believe a month ago. It, it dropped a month ago on the 8th from what I can tell. So it wasn't that long ago that we had this conversation, but, but the world has changed so much yeah. since then. So, Caleb, I, I know it's been a crazy month for you, and I want you to just kind of walk us through that uh, a little bit. But, but um, you know, a month ago we were saying we hope this doesn't happen, and that now you are uh, basically kind of living as a refugee of sorts. Um, and so so just walk us through that. What was it like leading up to the invasion, as much as you've cared to share um, and then, you know, where, where are you and your family now? And what has that whole process been like for you and your family, particularly?
2: Yeah. Right. Scott, definitely a lot has changed in the last, uh, two weeks for sure for us. And I guess it was a month ago we did that interview and I don't, I'd have to go back to that interview and kind of figure out what I said there, because I think at that point I was saying a lot of people were saying that, yeah, the threats there, but we really don't think that anything, you know, the, the, we didn't really yeah. think a, this invasion that was going to take the take place throughout the whole country was going to happen at that point. Uh, and we were pretty so i skeptical I'm, that didn't age. Well, I was I'm just going to say, well, and the no, president of Ukraine
1: said the same yeah. thing. He said, we yeah. were planning for it, but yeah. we did not think it was any chance it was going to happen. And then it right. did. Right. Right.
2: Right. Uh, so uh, yeah, that didn't age well. And you know, it's a little strange to, for me, even to think even now it's like, uh, you you see you know on the news these refugees and everything and then to think that wait I'm one of those refugees now like literally I'm we like our family is our refugees our our home is in Ukraine our our, our apartment is there our things are there and and we uh, literally you know had to flee for for our lives for safety and and so that's uh, still something that we're I think processing and uh, it's a ongoing kind of changing even kind of. Feeling uh, in us uh, as as far as our current situation and state, but but I, what I can take you back just I guess maybe to the right before the war started and just kind of share it with you from there. Would that be good?
1: Perfect. That's what we would love. Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah. So obviously uh, after that interview, um, you know, we did continue to prepare for uh, possible situations, contingency plans that we prepared for with with our missions team. And also I would say that the week that the war started, so the war started on the 24th of February, it was becoming pretty clear that uh, there could be something going on here. And we actually gathered our church on Tuesday night. We said, anyone that would like to be involved in uh, an evacuation plan, uh, come to the office, Uh, we'll discuss this plan. We made up a whole plan, evacuation plan, For our church we didn't actually have that many people that came and i think it was still because everyone was sort of like well i really don't think anything is going to happen but we had a number of people that came and we had an evacuation plan to go uh, north and then and then west as far as we could in ukraine and not actually leave ukraine but but go to far western ukraine and the reason that we didn't want to leave ukraine is because our church is an international church and so we have, we have Africans and Asians and, uh, and people from different countries that actually don't have a visa-free um, ability to get into the neighboring countries. So, they, so our neighboring countries are Moldova, Romania, uh, Slovakia, Hungary, Poland, uh, and then, of course, Belarus and Russia, uh, which we were not going to go that direction. Uh, and so... So uh, most of our church members are not able to get into those countries unless they go through the process, get the visa. As uh, With the U.S. passport, we can. With the Ukrainian passport, we can. But that's why we decided we're going to go far west, just hang out there. That'll be far away from all of the anything that might possibly happen. Well, on Wednesday night, actually on Wednesday, I was watching the news. This is the day before the war started. And that was actually the first time that I re—I started realizing this, this, could, this could really happen. And the reason that I started realizing that is because there was this change. That before, up until this time, everything that the Russian troops did was very public. All their movements were very public. They were kind of trying to make a show of it to kind of scare people. Then all of a sudden, on Tuesday and Wednesday, especially on Wednesday, uh, the war started on Thursday. There, the troop movements became quiet, became secretive, uh, and and you could tell that they were preparing for an invasion. Because when they do things publicly, they're not preparing for a surprise attack. When they do things secretly, then they are. And I actually talked to my parents that evening. And I said, you know, I think that there's going to be something happening tonight, and of course. A number of nights before that, we weren't sleeping real well. And I I stayed up quite late. Uh that night. I think I went to bed around twelve thirty, close to one o'clock in the morning. And then on Thursday morning, so it's Thursday the twenty-fourth, we you know, we had our phone, we always had our phones on, sitting right next to our beds just in case, you know, something happens, somebody calls us in the middle of the night. And I got a phone call at five. Actually, I remember it was 5.07 in the morning. It was a phone call at 5.07. Well, usually phone calls at 5.07 are, are not, you know, the best phone calls, right? And so I grabbed my phone. I look at It's from Poland. And I actually, I don't know what happened to my phone, but I couldn't answer it. Like, my phone was glitching. I couldn't answer it. And, but I know that that was from the U.S. Embassy because mm-hmm. U.S. Uh, Embassy had moved to Poland, And so I'm sure that that was a phone call from the U.S. Embassy telling me that the attack had started. And then within 30 seconds of that call, I got a call from our regional director, uh, Jason Rice. And he said, hey, uh, Ukraine is under attack. Now, at that point, we had not noticed anything where we were. And so, but of course, we were on alert. So we're like, wow, okay, what's going on? So we quickly went to our News sources, we didn't, we didn't see anything yet in our news sources. Hmm. Uh, but, but by that time, you know, we're awake walking out, it's completely dark outside. We're walking, uh, went into our living room and as we're standing there in the living room, looking out the living room window, we see the, the, uh, the streak of an anti aircraft, uh, some sort of rocket going up. Uh, and, and that was alarming. And then about 30 seconds later, we just hear this loud boom that just rocked the whole city. And that was the first rocket hitting our city. It was a ballistic missile that uh, Russia had fired, uh, probably, I think, from a ship in the Black Sea. And so at that point, we um, realized that we were definitely under attack. I mean, when, when the ballistic missile hits, uh, then you, you know that we're... We're definitely under attack, and so then you know now is the question of what do we do? Uh, what do we do? How do we respond? And of course, with our um, contingency plans, uh, we had it in there that basically if, if, if we're going to be attacked by the air, then we need to leave, we need to leave. And so we talked with our regional director, Jason Rice. And he took, and, and he's like, okay, well, you guys need to leave. Well, the problem was, it's dark outside. Uh, there's missiles landing everywhere. And we have no idea what's going on outside. And we start looking at the news and we find out there's missiles landing in Kiev, in ivana Frankos, western Ukraine. Uh, they're landing all over Ukraine. And so we looked at that and and at that point we just made a decision you know we don't really want i did not feel safe taking my family outside in the car when ukraine is having ballistic missiles falling all over including in our city and so so we said we got to wait we got to wait until it's at least light till we can at least figure out what's going on maybe they're just going to shoot a couple missiles and stop we don't know And, and so that was the call that we made at that time, which was a little bit difficult because the, the leadership wanted us to leave for, for obvious reasons, but we just felt unsafe going outside, uh, with these ballistic missiles hitting our city and and hitting other cities in Ukraine at the same time. And at that time, we just made sure we just kind of started making sure we were packed and, um, Started contacting uh, church members to see where they were, those that wanted to come with us. And then all of a sudden, we had a bunch of people that wanted to evacuate with us, of, of our church members. Uh, and so so then, you know, have all those decisions that we had to make. And yeah. I just remember that, that those like four or five hours after the war started, uh, so many phone calls. I went back uh, a day or so later. I looked at my phone calls. I had to scroll for about a minute to get through all my phone calls on my phone. Uh, Just uh, so much uh, communication that had to take place because of our church members, coordinating who's gonna go, who's gonna stay, um, all those kinds of things. So we hung out there for a while, tried to just kind of collect ourselves and not panic too much. Once the sun went up, uh, once the sun came up, I actually went outside. Uh, it seemed like the the missile um, attacks had calmed down a little bit. Went outside and all, and the first thing you see, of course, is a line of thirty cars to the gas station. It's amazing how fast things change. And I knew that I might not be able to get fuel. Uh, thankfully, I'd been keeping my fuel tank uh, at least half full uh, for the last week or two, knowing that we could run into a situation like this. So I had about two thirds of a tank. And um, then we had our coworker. We, our coworker lives about a 15-minute walk from us. We contacted her, had somebody to go and pick her up and bring her over to our place because she would be evacuating with us. And, uh, and even if she wasn't going to evacuate with us at that point, she would at least be staying the night with us. And just continued to pack and make sure that things were ready. And I think the last uh, missile hit around maybe just before 11 a.m. So we had a number of different missiles hitting throughout the morning Uh, around 11, maybe just before 11, it was the last one. It was actually pretty near to our house. It was, Hmm. it was, uh, you know, it was close enough that all the car alarms went off in our parking lot and shook our windows and things. Uh, so that's, (laughs) it's a, it's it's an alarming feeling I, I can tell you because you don't know where they're coming from. You don't know where they're going to land. You don't know when the next one's going to land. And, and you you feel a bit helpless. And the only thing you can do is, is go into the bomb shelter, which does it, in does our it building, feel
1: real yeah. in those moments? Or does it feel like a fog? I mean, I, I just, it's hard for us to even look at that. And here we are having this like very casual conversation about something that, you know, doesn't happen to most of us ever in our life.
2: I, I mean, yeah, it feels pretty real. Yeah, yeah it does I wouldn't I wouldn't say it, it, things were very clear, that we knew yeah. exactly what was happening, but in a way, you know, it feels uh kind of like you're in a uh apocalyptic movie. Yeah. Uh, like the world is ending and and things are just changing so fast. So a lot of it was just like making the decisions, you know. And and it was good that we had the contingency plan because there's even with the contingency plan in a moment like that, there's so many decisions that have to be made just that you didn't really think of.
0: T- Caleb, you mentioned you had a lot of church members that wanted to join you in evacuating. How did you negotiate those conversations? There's already tensions between some missionaries, some organizations might stay, others choose to go. Those are decisions of wisdom, right? There's there's Christian liberty involved. There's There's tactical wisdom that's that's involved in that um, uh-huh. combined with the added issue of, you know, counseling people who for them, it's it's their home. Obviously, it's your home as well. Uh, but uh-huh. for them, it's it's their home, you know, in the fullest sense of that. And how do you as their pastor and as a spiritual guide to them, how do, how do you work through them with those conversations?
2: Well, yeah, I don't know that there was really anything to work through. If you want to get out. We're going to try and get you out. That was it. Mm, yeah. So in that sense, it wasn't if you if you're going to stay, I'm not going to argue with you because I don't have the energy. I don't have the emotional strength to argue with you that you should leave. Uh, so those who decided to stay and, and we have uh, we have a number of people that decided to stay. Um, I probably won't name them here, but but we have a number of people that were involved in our church that decided to, stay, and stay, they're still there today and they're serving, they're helping, you know, and and you know, that was their choice. And, and God is using them greatly that way. But for those who decide to leave, and, and that was mainly our, our, our Africans, our Asians, um, it's like, okay, we're, we'll do whatever we can to help you leave. And, and we did. And we got them all out. Um, not, not immediately. Um, I knew that I had to take care of ourselves. I had to take care of my family. I had to take care of our teammates uh, that were there. And so um, that was my first first priority. And then, and then you know, once I got them to safety, then I could also concentrate on getting, getting other people to safety at that point. Um, but, but for, for us, obviously we had agreements, you know, that if, well, if missiles are landing in our city, that we should leave. So, um, so, so we knew that we needed to leave. The, the only question for us was, is it, is it safe for us to go out? Hmm. And so that's why I said around 11 o'clock, the last missile hit that day. And, and then we, Kind of realize, okay, there's a so old now. Doesn't seem like they're 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 shooting. So let's quickly get our things up. But even then, even though we had our bags packed, I tell you, and I, it, it still took us probably like two hours to kind of make sure we, you know, got everything done. I mean, because we're yeah. leaving, we don't we don't, we still don't know if we'll ever go back to our home, right? And so when you have to kind of make those decisions, you know, within you know an hour or two, uh, it. You know, there's, there's a few things that you want to think about. So so we packed up our car and we left Odessa around 4 p.m., the day that the war started, Thursday, February twenty fifth, 24th. And, of course, we knew there's going to be long lines because there's already, ever since 5.30 in the morning, there's been people leaving. And so, of course, we, instead of going to Western Ukraine, we decided we're not going to go to Western Ukraine because... That means traveling about 700 miles, six 700 miles through a bunch of Ukraine, through places that are getting bombed right now, and that doesn't seem like a smart thing to do. So we're going to go to the closest border. Closest border is Moldova, and it's, uh, it's about 40 miles to the closest border. Well, uh, a lot of people decided to go to the closest border. Uh, I think it was the right thing to do because at that point, there was no... No missiles were hitting in that direction, um, and so we we immediately kind of got out of an area that was being targeted by Russia. And uh, we went. I've been through that border many times before. Usually, it takes us about about an hour to to get get there across the border, and we're fine. Well, this time it took us twenty four hours, and so thankfully, we so had a little, little bit of food. I had enough fuel. I actually ended up getting a little more fuel right before we got into the line to cross the border but at that point they were limiting they were uh, limiting fuel to only 20 liters per person but that just gave me a little bit of reserve so that I knew for sure I could make it across the border so it was uh thankfully a very beautiful day and unusually warm uh, which made it made it a little bit more bearable but but we sat in the car for for about 24 hours it was about 22 hours to get across the border, I guess. And then it's another two-hour drive to Kishinev. And it was very nice that uh, um, the our teammates, uh, our ABW teammates, uh, Rich and Joanne met us, on, or Rich did, met us on the other side. They actually waited 15 hours to meet us on the other side. Wow. <laughs> and uh, very, very nice of them to do that, though.
1: If everything we're hearing on the news, it seems like countries like Moldova and Poland and and uh, and you know, Romania are just opening their doors in yes. in and really serving all these refugees. It seems like there's a real outpouring of support in those neighboring countries. Is that what you're seeing?
2: Yes. So we're so thankful that we have good neighbors like Moldova and Romania and Poland and Slovakia and Hungary. And so when we got to the border checkpoint, first of all, uh that day they quickly uh, made a new law in Ukraine that no men, no Ukrainian men, if you're a Ukrainian man between ages 18 and 60, you're not allowed to leave the country because they didn't want to lose all their potential soldiers. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of created a, a blockage because there's a lot of men trying to leave the country and then they had to be turned around and all that. So, so of course, when we got close to the border, they immediately came up to me They asked me how old I was. Um, I guess I don't look like I'm over 60 yet. So... <laughs> no <laughs> not definitely not you're 18. not <laughs> <laughs> no i'm not i'm not uh, but but uh, i'm like hey guys i'm american like, are you sure are you sure you're american I'm like, yes i'm American here here's my passport so of course they they let me through because of that um but also they they changed uh the border crossing laws for all of these neighboring countries to allow basically anybody with any passport to come in without a visa uh, the difference is like as well, on American passport, we could go in normally. We have ninety days in Moldova; it's not a not a problem. I've been here many times. Uh, but then, like when our Africans, Indians, and, and others came through, they have to come through uh, legally as as refugees. So they're processed legally as refugees, and then they're able to come in. Uh, so we we saw actually quite a few internationals coming across the border when. We were crossing. And then actually, by the time we crossed, we'd already arranged for a a busload of of people from our church to be brought to the border. But uh, but what happens is, you know, we've got a, a lineup of cars that is maybe eight, nine, 10 miles long. And so what the buses do is they bring them to the back of the line, they drop them off and then they have to walk the rest of the way. And so it was not unusual for, for people to walk um up to 10 miles to to cross the border. And um uh but but that being said, walking was faster than driving. Because driving, you have to wait for all the other cars. And the those people that walked across actually got across faster mm. than we did. So our uh busload of internationals, we had I'm not sure how many we had that day, maybe we had about 15 the cross that same day that we did from our church and we were able to connect them with the church here and they put them up for the, they they just put like blankets on the floor in their church and put them up for the night there. And then when we came the following day, we we stayed with, with Rich and Joanne, our fellow um, ABW teammates. And we came the following day to check on, and these are almost all Africans. I had one guy from Nepal that came and um and and the the pastor of the church said listen i know this guy he's got a house and i think i think your your church members might be able to stay in his house like, okay great you know and so so he calls this guy up and he comes and this guy his name's is edward I'm like i know this guy like uh, he's my good friend i i we ministered with him like like 10 12 15 years ago i haven't seen him for 10 years but and and so it's just amazing how god worked this out and he's said like, yeah hey, i've got this house three stories 21 beds. Um, you're welcome to use it. And I filled that whole house with Africans. And, and so from the, the very day and the very hour that we got into Kishinev, we began working with primarily with Africans, mm. trying to coordinate them to get across the border. Once they get across the border, um, there's a lot of free things that people are providing free transportation, free food, and they could get transportation to kishinyo once they got to kishinyo then i would meet them uh, or, or take them to the church to to just to use the bathroom and rest up take them to the house and i had about 30 probably about 30 africans that that went through that house within the first few days or so
0: what what are those ministry conversations like i mean obviously you guys are super focused on the practical side getting people out getting people beds to sleep in things like that You're also crossing paths with Muslims, um, Mm -hmm. with all sorts of lost people. What does that look like? How is the gospel coming up in those conversations, and those relationships? Or what conversations are you praying to be able to have as kind of the immediate urgency of things? Um, Hopefully, Lord willing, at some point begins to die off and and leave room for other conversations.
2: Well, the thing is that with the internationals, like most of them I already have previous relationship with. They know who we are. And so I did have, like, for instance, uh, two days, two, two or three days after I got here, um, one of our Indians called me up, and he's like, "Hey, we're on our way to the border. What should we do?" And so the first thing I would say, "Okay, how many people you got in your group? What are your plans? Which country do you want to go to now?" You know, he's like, "Okay," <laughs> he says, "says Well, we've got forty five people." I'm like, "Oh wow, forty five. What are we gonna do with forty five Indians?" You know, he's like, "Yeah, but we have three buses, so we have one hundred and fifty all together." Then I'm like, "Really? Oh boy," you know, "What i gonna do?" Uh, so we actually look mm-hmm. for, for a place for them. But, but what I'm saying is like these are people that we've been building relationships with for, for a year, two years. Uh, these are people that we know and that know us and they know who we are. So when they come over, uh, obviously, we basically treat everyone the same. Uh, and, and it's kind of the same for everyone. Like, you know, we greet them, we we help them, we feed them. We try to find a place to stay for them. We pray with them um, and and we encourage them. And, and honestly, that is pretty much the same, whether whether it's a Hindu, whether it's Muslim. It's so like when these Indians came, I, we could not physically house 150 people in in the church. I mean, we bought uh, blow up mattresses. I think they have maybe 40 or 45 in there. Like technically we could have gotten one bus in there, but it would have been like, you know, like like side by side people everywhere. Uh, they end up going to the um, to the army barracks. And so I figured out where they were going and and I ended up going with rich to the army barracks later. And, uh, and, and they let me in as a, as a priest. Uh, and so, so I went in and found all the guys that, that we work with, talked with them, um, encouraged them, prayed with them. And, you know, I mean, they're, they're Hindus, they're Muslims. Um, I think there's a couple Catholics in there uh and, and so we talk with them we pray with them just like who would would anyone else we had uh quite a few uh uh refugees from azerbaijan background mm-hmm. come through the church mm-hmm. and stay for a few hours or for the night again we feed them we help them we pray with them and and then we send them out so that's that's usually kind of how that like, goes doesn't really matter where what their background is
0: that, that's super interesting just because if you look at, and this is not to make light of anything that's happening right now, but just looking at church history and looking at missions history, displacement events are huge gospel catalysts historically. It, We've yes. seen that so many times, even yeah. in biblical history. Um, mm-hmm. it, at the very least, it shows you how you can begin to pray and, 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 and expect the Lord to use this uh, in spite of the wickedness and the suffering Scott, do you have any thoughts? Sorry. I, I know I cut you off, buddy.
1: No, I mean, that's a good thought. I mean, it may, makes me think of, of, uh, of Acts 11, where it talks about because of the persecution exactly. that arose with, with Stephen, right. all these people. And then, you know, one of the churches places is Antioch, which ends up being, you know, the, the launching yeah. point for the next big missions uh, endeavor. But yeah, it does, it does feel a little bit we about The good side of, a real tragic event, but, um, it does encourage us to say, God's not out of, it's not out of control in God's hands, but go ahead, Caleb.
2: And yeah, what I would say is, is what I hear, especially from the internationals is they're just astounded by the care that people Mm -hmm. show for them. And it's all coming uh, it's primarily coming through the church. And it's a powerful testimony. Wow. And I believe it's much more powerful when it is coupled with a previous relationship and with a continued relationship. It's yeah. one thing if they just came mm. through and, oh, you know, this church cared for them for a day or two or something, then they're off and they're to another country or their home. Mm. But when you're talking about people that we have had long-term relationships with and then they come through and they see, wow, you know, this thing, this thing called the church, it's not just something that we found in Odessa. It's in Kishinev And then mm. guess what? I, I personally sent quite a few people on to Bucharest where it's it's the same thing. It's it's the church that's caring for them. And even from Bucharest, we've sent people on to Germany at least, I know, where it's the same thing. And and it's all this network uh through ABWE wow. and wow. and through the churches. And so so that's very powerful when it's connected with those personal relationships. So now the thing is what I'm what I'm getting constantly I'm getting calls from parents in in Nigeria I'm getting calls from Egypt I'm getting calls from Iraq I'm getting calls from Germany of, of parents and family and aunts and uncles oh thank you thank you so much for taking care of my child thank you for making sure that they got out of there safely that that and and then and then they're inviting me to those countries too so it's is really phenomenal i've never ever experienced anything like this in my life but through it all we just we just see god's mighty hand that is mightier than than any any war any army
1: yeah it's one thing to stand in church on sunday and say you know if if you're in a church that uses the apostles creed you know i believe in the, the catholic church but then to experience the catholicity of the church that as you go you're seeing hey the church is existing in these places and it's ministering and loving and showing us uh, the the love of christ that's a that's powerful testimony are you able to, to have any contact with the churches in ukraine or your friends in ukraine is that contact been cut off if you're able to contact them what are you hearing from them those are still inside ukraine
2: yeah yeah we are we are able to have contact with them and um it's it's really terrible what's going on in fact i just found out today that one of my pastor friends he lost his son-in-law i think yesterday because of russian shelling and this was a guy that um that he actually lived on the war front in eastern ukraine i just talked with him uh literally like a couple of days before the war So I met with him a couple of days before the war started. And I just saw that his his son-in-law um, was helping uh, people flee from Irpin, which is just uh, north uh, west Kiev, and and the Russians started shelling these these people who were fleeing, and, and his son-in-law lost his life. Uh, and so that that's one thing, of course, is is loss of life. The other thing is the constant uh, the problem right now like one of the big problems in ukraine is that people don't sleep because primarily the the rocket attacks the shelling the fighting happens at night and and so you can imagine and then even during the day uh, you know even in odessa odessa really hasn't been hit that hard but even in odessa on average two to three times a day the air raid sirens go off and everybody is supposed to get down to the bomb shelters and that constant constant on edge is is very tiring very wearing i just met four four people from our our previous church brought them out yesterday and what i can say is that as the longer we get into this the more we see that the people are wearing down psychologically emotionally uh physically uh they're just wearing down because they're not sleeping they're they're constantly on edge and, and I, I, I met these, these two, two women and their two sons that they just, they just had this scared look in their eyes. They just didn't know what to do, what to think. And I'm like, you hey guys, here's, here's a house for you to stay in. Here's some beds. Just get some rest. And, and even, st- even here, getting rest is hard because if they hear somebody, uh, dragging a garbage can outside, they're awake. And it's it's, it's the same thing for us too, especially the first four or five days, even even now when you hear any kind of a rumbling sound or something like that, it just, it, it immediately, I did not think that just being there one day and obviously we heard the missiles landing and stuff, that it would have that effect on us. That there's been nights where like a truck just drove by outside and I was like, I was up immediately, you know, wondering like, is are, are we going to get blown up or something so yeah. it's 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 really it affects people and that's what people are living through constantly 24/7 yeah. in Ukraine right now
0: Caleb I think this is an encouragement to those that are tempted to think through this not through a spiritual lens but through a fleshly lens right they might have a knee jerk political reaction um they might think through it purely in military terms uh and, and to recognize that regardless of, of anything else that's happening on a world scale, that there are believers affected by this, there are missionaries affected by this, there are many churches affected by this. And what what, what a powerful testimony to hear how Eastern European churches, not just in Ukraine, but, but throughout the whole region, uh, are responding with hospitality and conversations, gospel conversations, needs are being met. Those things are happening. So how can people pray for you? How can people pray for the rest of the team, other missionaries, and churches that are there those that are refugees what what should we be praying right now obviously praying for peace what else should we be praying for
2: yeah beyond praying for an end of the war which is obvious um i think that we need to be praying for the churches in ukraine uh, because we're two weeks in now and now a lot of the areas that are under heavy attack they are running out of things. And so they're running out of fuel, they're running out of food in the stores. And, and that is a, a real uh, weight upon church leadership when they're thinking about their people and how are we gonna take care of them? And so just the physical safety and care of the people, we actually still, we have one of our internationals that is stuck right now in Kherson because Kherson has been occupied by Russians. And they're not allowing anyone to leave. And I've been trying to keep daily contact with him, but things are running out in the stores. Uh, so those, and, 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 and it's not like it, it's, it's a situation where like people want to help. They want to give, we can't, we can't give money to change this. We can't even send food to change it at this point in many of those places. So that would be one thing, just the physical um, care of the people uh, there. And then obviously the the spiritual aspect of it as well is it can be very overwhelming for the leadership of the church uh, because uh, when you're constantly dealing with people that are, uh, their nerves are shot. I had, I had, I had one of our church members call me. He's Ukrainian uh, last night and he said, Caleb, what do I do? I'm afraid to die. And he's in Ukraine. I'm here, you know, And i want to leave the country and the the guy's 40 years old he can't leave the country he legally can't leave the country Mm, and so as a path as a pastor that's difficult for me to say listen brother you don't try to leave the country because you might get thrown into prison and and so there's a lot of difficult decisions that pastors have to make and comfort that they have to give and that can be really wearing spiritually mentally physically on pastors so Mm. For their physical, mental, spiritual stamina is really important to pray for right now, and and for us here, similar thing. Um, things have slowed down a little bit, and that's why you know I was able to to take some time this evening for us here to make this call with you guys. But the the difficulty is that we're we're trying to help refugees for are coming out and deal with their needs and their their stress. Their nerves are on edge and everything. But then we're also watching the news. And, it, and it, it's just very emotional for us to, to watch the news and, and overwhelming for us to watch the news. And so um, I would definitely say that especially the first the first 10 days, probably the first 10 days, you know, that that feeling you get like a lump in the back of your throat when you're about ready to cry. It's like it was there for like 10 days, didn't go away. And, and that and, and, and we we didn't have an appetite like we ate just because we need the energy but none of us had an appetite. So that stamina and, and, and rest, pray for rest, Mm. I think for, for, for the Christians, for the churches, for the pastors is important.
0: Pray for peace, pray for rest, pray for wisdom, especially in those counseling situations that are difficult, obviously pray for, for physical provision. All of these things are critically important. Caleb, We want you and your wife to know that we love you. Um, Our listeners will be praying. I'm sure many of our listeners will hit pause right now or or when this ends and decide to pray for you guys, along with the rest of the Ukraine team that's there with ABWE and with other agencies. And so thank you so much for giving us the update. We know that there's so much going on that for you to take the time uh, to connect with us is, is a sacrifice. And we appreciate that. And we pray that the prayer that's mobilized as a result would be certainly worth it. Um, In that way, we also want to mention all of our listeners, if you go to abwe.org slash Ukraine help, that's abwe.org slash Ukraine help together, no spaces, no dashes, anything else like that, abwe.org slash Ukraine help, that'll bring you to our Ukraine crisis fund, which is helping missionaries and nationals um, who, who have been removed from the country. Uh, but that's helping with physical needs, that's helping with providing beds, transportation, food. Um, That's been used ever since 2014 and the Crimea war um, to assist with all sorts of physical needs there as well too. So there's a history to this fund and we've been blown away by the amount of support coming in um, to the Ukraine crisis fund. But if you want to help and meet a physical need as well, if the Lord would put that on your heart for you or for your church, abwe.org slash ukrainehelp and be praying for the Suco family as well. Caleb, your website is sukofamily.org. Is that right? S-U-K-O family.org. That's right. And so we encourage you to check out that website and get more resources from Caleb. And also, Caleb is just um, a, a wonderful brother in the Lord and and has produced some wonderful resources through the years, through his preaching, his writing, and so that's available to everyone as well that's interested. We thank you all for joining us this week um, in this special edition of the Missions Podcast. The Missions Podcast is a ministry of ABWE. To get more information, go to abwe.org podcast or straight on over to missionspodcast.com. And if you want to partner with the show, we would appreciate that greatly. missionspodcast.com support is one way to do that. Another way to do that is simply by sharing the show, following or subscribing in your podcast platform of church, the choice. And every time you leave a positive rating or a review that helps feed the algorithms and get this content in front of more people that can be blessed by it. So we thank
2: you for that as well. And until next week, thank you for listening.